everybody, it's me, Katie Osaurus, and welcome back to Infinite Quest. This week on Infinite Quest, we've got Dr. Kimberly Douglas, who is going to be talking to us about uh, how parents can support their neurodiverse kids. It is a fascinating conversation, and we were absolutely honored to have her on. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but before we begin, a couple of announcements. First, uh, if you participated in the Great Sparkle Butt Challenge of 2021, uh, I'm just gonna say it. I thought that maybe like five people were gonna respond, but a lot more than five people responded. And so the song is gonna be at the end of the show because otherwise we'd have to spend the first like seven minutes of this podcast doing the song. Uh, so that'll be at the end of the show this week. Next, we just wanted to remind you that one of the best ways that you can support Infinite Quest is simply to let people know that we exist. We are really close to having 200 reviews over on Apple iTunes. And so if you've got a couple of minutes to help support Infinite Quest by leaving us a review and letting people know what you think of the show, we would be super grateful. Also, as Eric prepares to move to Georgia in July so we can really focus on Infinite Quest full time, we wanted to let you know that over the months of May and June, we're going to be doing some really fun things over on the Patreon, and I will tell you more about those during the show's break. But for now, let's start the show. Here is my amazing conversation with Dr. Kimberly Douglas. Transition. Before we start this week's episode, we thought we would give you a little bit more insight into just how awesome Dr. Kimberly Douglas is. So Dr. Kimberly Douglas is owner and CEO of Remote Learning Solutions, where she is designing a world in which neurodivergent people feel like they belong. She fuses disability advocacy with design thinking. She designs content and services such as one-on-one coaching um, that validate the neurodivergent experience. So her content and her services challenge everyday processes that marginalize and shame neurodivergent people. Dr. Douglas became a full-time business owner after working as staff and faculty and administration in higher education for over 17 years. So she knows what it's like, not only as an advocate, but also as an educator and as a parent. Uh, She began the advocacy work she does over 12 years ago when she became an advocate for her son who has ADHD. And since then, if you've been watching her TikToks, you also know that she's gotten much more in touch with her own neurodivergence. So that is a little bit of background on Dr. Douglas, and we are so honored to have her today. Uh, So without further ado, here's the rest of that episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Infinite Quest. Uh, This week on the show, we have Dr. Kimberly Douglas, uh, who is just a fabulous uh, mental health TikToker, knower of all cool things. Uh, and we are just so very pleased to have you, Dr. Kimberly Douglas. How are Thank you? you. <laughs> I, I am good. I am so happy to be here and just excited to have this conversation. <laughs> feel like I really crushed that intro, like we're off to a great start. Um, so uh, why don't you tell folks about yourself and, and, and okay. how you got into mental health and all of that good stuff? Sure. So I'm Dr. Kimberly Douglas, and I have my own business. It's called Remote Learning Solutions. And I coach, develop content for... Um, collaborate with people who are neurodivergent. So that could include people who are on the spectrum. They may have ADHD. They may have learning disabilities, uh, giftedness, and other things. So um, I got into this. My background is actually in academia. So I was in academia full-time for 17 years as staff, faculty, and administrator. And um, about two years ago, I decided to start my own business and then July of 2020, I went full time because I decided that I would never be able to achieve what I want to achieve working for someone else. And so I had really big dreams about transforming the way we talk about uh, neurodiversity and neurodivergence. And my motto is that I am designing a world in which neurodivergent people feel like they belong, but not just neurodivergent, but everyone. And so I I come at this from a a design approach. Um, I got started along this track about 12 or 13 years ago when I was advocating for my son at um, in public school. And, um, and then that, that was a long journey, but I knew even back then that someday I would be doing this. I didn't know what shape or form, but I knew I would be doing something like this. And um, this 
past summer, I helped found a school that is based on project-based learning and my son attends that school. So now that he is settled, I've started to think about my own neurodivergence a lot more. And every day I'm like, wait a minute, what? Wait. <laughs> so I'm see- seeing how it shows up in my, my own life, you know, mm-hmm. um, since I'm no longer, I, I still am his advocate, but not in the way that I was before. Um, and so, yeah, um, I'm on TikTok. One of the issues that I had when I first became a coach is I wasn't in front of the right people. And I was coaching people who have their PhDs and EDDs and encouraging them to get on TikTok and do micro learning on TikTok because I just think it's wonderful for micro learning. And so I got on there to make a point. Mm-hmm. Boy, when I got on, I, I like it was clear to me from the very beginning that was a that was a space that I needed to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about where well, there are a lot of things about TikTok in terms of like the length of the videos and all that, and just being a full creator's platform. It just worked really well with the way I process things. Mm-hmm. And I just kept going and I got in front of the right people. Like people have helped me craft my message. Um, and the thing about TikTok, I call it a self cleaning oven. <laughs> because when you get on there with some foolishness, especially in the mental health community, people swoop down and they clean it up very quickly. And some days we're a little slow, but, but we usually take care of it. And so, um, that allows people to have the community that they need, but also the quality control. Yeah, no, that I mean, that's one of the things that I find super interesting about TikTok is that for as much misinformation as can be spread, I think it's really interesting. And I've seen this even like in times when like I have misspoken or I misread a study or something and somebody will be like, hey, actually, and I go, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. Yes. Like, I, you know, yes. and, and it's it's very comforting, I think, in a way, because I, I don't know about you, but like, I don't necessarily worry so much about like, oh, what if I'm wrong? What I sort of rest easy in is if I am wrong, somebody mm-hmm. who knows more than me is going to tell me how I'm wrong and I will get the opportunity to learn, which I think is really, really cool. No, I think it's great. I, I, a long time ago, I used to be a speechwriter, and there was this woman in my office who drove me crazy because she was so nitpicky. Mm-hmm. But then one day something clicked with me and I recognized that her nitpickiness kept me out of trouble. Mm-hmm. And so it really changed my perspective on how to take criticism and how to take suggestions because, because, uh, so when somebody catches something or, you know, maybe you need to lean to the left just a little bit, then that keeps me from getting in trouble in other ways, or it's not really trouble, but it keeps me, um, on message. It makes it, it assures the quality of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So I find that to be really helpful and I want to be seen as a reliable source of information. Yeah, no, I think that is, that is, I mean, that was one of the reasons why I loved your content so much. Like that was one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on. Cause I just like, think you do that so beautifully. Like you are Thank so you. knowledgeable and such a great advocate, um, which is actually what part goes into my next question. Um, but so you talked about like, you kind of started the process because you were advocating for your son. Um, but so like, do you have, have you noticed like any difference between like the, the moments and the opportunities that you have to educate for your son and then like also like advocating for yourself like do you think like one led to the other do you think like they're kind of like two component different things i i think they're they're separate but they're combined Mm -hmm. because there are layers of issues here and um so part of it is the neurodivergence you know part of it is the mother-son relationship And then another part of it is intergenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. And I can see the manifestation of that in in myself, but also in him as well. And being the person who says, you know what, this stops with me. And so it's like, all of this is like this weird mash, but for a long time, it really was just about him. And Mm so um, talking about being advocate at the time that I was coming in hard and heavy as his advocate. And I just had to be, 
What I would do to prepare for the IEP or individualized education program meetings is I would just go and read academic articles because what I found in going to those meetings is people do not come to those meetings with solutions. They came with problems and defining problems. And so I would just call through the literature like a week before a meeting to come up with solutions. And so that's why when I say sometimes I have 12, 13 years worth of material, it's because I have been working on this for 12 or 13 years and really understanding what the literature is all about and the experiences that other parents are having. But to answer your, make sure I answer your question, it's some combination of the both of us. And, and here's where it gets even trickier because when he was about five or six, I got really angry at him. And I got angry and I would say stuff like, um, you know, why are you like this? I didn't, we try to do this for you. We try to do that for you. I didn't have this when I was growing up. And so I started going to see a therapist. And of course, I'm sure you've already figured this out. This had nothing to do with him. And so I really, um, in that process, started to think about things in a very different way and think about his situation in a very different way. And there's a book that profoundly impacted um, my interactions with him, my relationship with him, and also just my worldview. And it's called Conscious Parenting. And basically saying that all the issues you have with your kid, it's about you. Um, and so I was like, well, no, it's not about me. It's about ADHD. No, not really. So it really, so, um, and one of the things I left out earlier is, is when I started coaching, I coached parents and moved away from that because it was just so heavy. But, um, when I, whenever I talk to parents, that's one of the things I always say, I always lead with what is best for your connection with your child. If it means that you're not disciplining in the moment for whatever reason you feel like you need to discipline, if, if you can provide a soft place rather than preaching or advising, then for me, the best thing is to offer the soft place. Because you always have a chance to talk later and straighten it out later. And they can't hear you in that moment. They simply cannot hear you. So that the connection is a critical piece of what I say, and, and you probably, hopefully can hear it in my videos, like it's, it's about self-regulation, but it's also about co-regulation and helping each other be grounded and feel secure and balanced. I love just everything that comes out of your <laughs> amazing brain. Oh my gosh. So, oh, and, and I love this because um, one of the things that we get asked a lot, and, and it's something that I never feel like I can speak to, is is the experience of being a parent because I don't mm -hmm. have kids. And like, mm -hmm. I, I remember what it was like to be a kid, but I don't really have the experience of like raising one. Mm -hmm. um, and so one question that I would love for you to, to maybe just, you know, talk about for a little bit is like, what just general advice do you have for parents of neurodivergent kids in terms of how how do you support your kid in the best mm -hmm. possible way? Like how like what you know, what is your sort of like top 10 or, you know, whatever? I don't yeah. know, you can talk about this for 25 minutes. So I will sit here oh, quietly and listen. <laughs> so it's related to what I was just saying about the soft place. But um, let me start in a different place. Uh, so. I think the best thing you can do for your child, whether you consider them to be neurotypical, neurodivergent, I think the best thing you can do is to figure out how to regulate yourself and be really be in touch with your feelings and, and what stresses you, what causes you anxiety and being able to separate anxiety from facts, feelings from facts. Um, and, and just recognizing the difference will make a difference in your household. So that's number one, but number two, uh, related to the, the soft place to land. Well, actually, I got like three. Let me let me write it down before I lose my thought. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, Last week, I was recording a podcast interview, and I was talking about the top five comorbidities with ADHD, and I forgot 
depression. Like I was like, what's the fifth one? I can't remember. And I felt like a moron and it was very funny. So I was like, I totally understand. No, because you may have this feeling that moment when I have 20 thoughts at once and they all pull each other out. This is my entire ongoing existence. Um, Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So just, you know, (laughs) so I'm I'm really happy to have a chance to answer this question. Um, So the first part is, is self-regulation. It is self-awareness. It is being a student of yourself and also a student of the child, really observing. That's the word I mean. (laughs) Number four. (laughs) Okay. But, but really being a student of yourself. The second thing is validation, validation, validation. Um, Again, in the moment, it's easier to fall into this pattern of, well, no, you shouldn't do this. And and it would be better if you did this. And even if we do it in like a nice way, we still are being preachy. But if the kid says something to you that you don't like or you don't approve or whatever, this is related to the next one, which is be curious about your child. Just be wicked curious about them. And when they say the most absurd sounding thing, you pull a thread, pull on that thread and say, okay, well, well, tell me about that. And even if they're in the middle of a meltdown, well, well, I know it makes you feel funny. Can you talk about how you're feeling right now? And then they'll soften and they'll talk to you and they'll feel more comfortable talking to you. But just being curious in general, I think will just reveals so much and and it also it positions you in a stance of being open to things so i think that's really helpful um and you seem very interested in your kid instead of trying to shape them and mold them you where they talk about the the carpenter parent versus the gardener parent so you become less of a carpenter where you're trying to nail everything in place and hold frame everything and more of a garden where, okay, you need to weed over here, then you can weed, but sometimes it's okay to let the weeds go. Um, and we'll come back to it later. I, I think that's a really good approach. So, um, yeah, self-regulation, validation, curiosity. And um, so each week, uh, this, this last one is related to something I do every week. So each week I put out a dollar offer for people. You can, and you can go to my web page, which is Dr. Kimberly Douglas to com, And it's there just $1. And one of those I devoted to this topic, or is it this week's? It's this week's. Yes. So you can actually get out of my link tree. This week's topic is about loving your neurodivergent child today. And here's the perspective on that. It's about being careful about comparing the child in front of you today to this imagined child in the future. Because I notice what people do, and, and I've done this myself, we really get hung up on how we think we can manage our way out of the ADHD or how we can manage our way out of autism, mm-hmm. where that child becomes more important than the person who is in front of us. And the person who is in front of us is not an adult in waiting. They are a whole person today. And so that's what we really have to see. And sometimes that's really hard. Um. (laughs) The worst part about having a podcast is that people can't see my reactions <laughs> and I just need everybody who is listening to know that like I've been nodding so hard for the past five minutes that my neck hurts that's that's where I'm at in my life right now so it's it's fine <laughs> yeah so um this is good and I appreciate that um yeah so the future child there's something called um I think they called it they call it shark music where okay something happens Mm -hmm. and because it happened today that means that when he goes to school tomorrow this is going to happen which means that he's going to have a fight with the teacher which means that two months from now this is going to happen and then by the time he's 25 this is going to happen and this has happened and it's it's like like jaws is like (laughs) 
do you think that has to do, like earlier you talked about like that sort of like fear versus fact uh-huh. and, and do you think that like ties into it where it's that idea that like my kid is messy and so therefore he will never learn how to clean his room and therefore he will always be a bad roommate and therefore he will never get married and therefore he will die alone and sad in the street because all because he didn't pack up his laundry like that kind of thinking at the end yes exactly <laughs> that's exactly that's the shock music and I, and I understand the urge to do that because it looks like so much coming at, hold on, you need to try to, here you go, you're welcome, um, because it looks like so much coming at you at once. And also there's so many unknowns that, you know, we try to find a way to match, but it, that absolutely is about the fear of the situation and allowing the fear to take over. And here's the deal, like it could happen, but it could not happen, or it could mean that, or it may not mean that. Um, one is just as likely as the other. And so the question becomes, it really becomes a thing about um, living in the present. Mm-hmm. And seeing the person who is right in front of you and saying, and Lord knows this is is not easy, but saying, my child was just standing here asking for the charger. And in that moment, he is just fine. He's okay how he is. He's doing good. He's safe. He's fed. He smells good today. (laughs) So I'll take it. Right. And um, because I remember when he was six years old, like, well, when you're 10, you're going to da da da. When you're 15, you know, you can't do. And we heard that a lot at school where people would say, well, you can't, you won't always have your mom and daddy there. And then I said, you know what? Please stop saying that because that is true, but it doesn't need to be said on these terms, mm-hmm. right? Because it's almost like a threat. And yeah. it's a threat that doesn't mean anything but something mean for him. Yeah. And it only creates fear. Um, and I said, you know, that's true. And there's a way to talk about that. But now is not the time to talk about it as a threat. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help. So I decided that it is about being in the present. Um, yeah, there are a lot of risks that come with being a black boy who has ADHD. Mm-hmm. A lot of risk. But today, I live with this person who just walked here and who's okay. Today. Well, hey there. Look at you. You made it to the middle of the episode. I'm really proud of you. Here's a gold star and a certificate of accomplishment. Uh, Maybe go have a glass of water to celebrate. Before we take you back to this week's episode, Eric and I just wanted to let you know about a few things that are going to be going on on the Patreon during the months of May and June. As many of you probably already know, Eric is gearing up to move to Georgia in July so we can start working full time on Infinite Quest, and we are so excited for this next stage of this adventure. However, moving across the country is very, very expensive. And I know I've talked about this before, but on the other side of the coin is the fact that Eric and I never want to make Infinite Quest inaccessible. We don't believe in it. We will never paywall our content. We want Infinite Quest to be free and accessible to anybody who needs education or advocacy with neurodivergency. And that is something that is really, really important to us. And so that puts us in kind of a bind because we don't necessarily ever want to make anybody feel like they have to contribute in order to get access to everything that Infinite Quest does. But we do have a Patreon. And so for the months of May and June especially, we're going to start posting more dedicated bonus content over on the Patreon. If you are here for the educational content only, you will not miss a thing. What we're going to post on the Patreon is just honestly purely just 
bullshittery and shenanigans. Uh, we're going to do some like movie watch alongs because Eric has never seen Star Wars. So I'm going to make him watch Star Wars with me. Um, we're going to do some like cooking stuff. I might wind up like teaching Eric a little bit about uh, Shakespeare and he might teach me a little bit about music. We've got a lot of fun stuff planned. Um, so if you are interested in accessing that bonus content, you can do that by visiting patreon.com slash infinite quest. If you are already a subscriber, Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for your support. Thank you all so much for your generosity. The way that we have seen Infinite Quest grow and change in the past few months has been absolutely extraordinary. And so we are so grateful for all of your support. And as we continue this May and June sort of fundraising drive, uh, we just want to let you know that we have not forgotten our OGs, the people who have been there with us from the very beginning. You are so foundationally important to Infinite Quest. You are part of the Infinite Quest family. Uh, and, and we wouldn't be here without you. So we just hope you know how much we appreciate every single one of you. Also, we just wanted to give you the heads up that at some point in June, Eric and I are going to be doing a ridiculous live moving fundraiser. We're not quite sure what that's going to look like yet. We're working on some of like the moving parts and the details. But once we have that all sorted out and figured out, we will announce the details here so you can be the first to sign up to attend Eric's ridiculous live stream event. So there you go. Also, I feel like maybe I buried the lead a little bit on this one, uh, but Eric and I are going to be at DragonCon this year. Uh, DragonCon is having us come in as attending professionals, which lends some sort of street cred to Infinite Quest. I don't, I don't, I genuinely don't know what it means or like if we're going to be doing panels or if it's going to be like a meet and greet. I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea what it means in terms of programming. But if you are going to be at uh, DragonCon, so will we. So, you know, come say a socially distanced hello. I plan on having fruit snacks. So that's it. That's that's all the news. Uh, Back to the episode, I guess. I really should have led with that Dragon Con thing, shouldn't I? Transition. You talked earlier, too, about how part of like your advocacy journey for your son was going to therapy yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I like and I don't want to throw shade. Um but one thing that I have found and one thing that I have noticed is that sometimes the problem isn't necessarily with the child as much as it is with the parents and like their pre- preconceived notions. Yes. yes. And so I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit just about how like your own emotional literacy and like sort of like developing those strategies like out of therapy helped you with your relationship um, and, and, and your advocacy journey. Yeah, uh, that, that's a good question. And I appreciate the opportunity to answer that question. I like what you said, emotional literacy, because that really is what it uh, what it boils down to. Um, I think most of the time it is the parents. We live in a society in, where this pres- there's this presumed meritocracy. And we present things a certain way. And even when faced with a different set of facts that suggests we need to live life in a very different way, we still insist on trying to put things in a box. And you hear people talk about like ADHD parents or autism parents and normal, you know, parents. And quite frankly, normal is whatever. And nobody really feels normal. But I think people who have kids who have ADHD and autism feel less normal. So there is a big difference. There's a lot of, there are a lot of decisions you have to make as a parent. You have to decide. So with the self-regulation, you basically are deciding what kind of person you are going to be. And the relationship you have with your child is hinging on your willingness to sit in that. And it is very uncomfortable and it will cause you to lose friends. It will cause you to isolate from relatives because there will be certain things that you cannot allow them to do. 
you cannot allow them to criticize your child in certain ways. Now, if they, you know, say something to help the child, that's different. But they can't put labels on your kid. They can't talk about your child in a certain way. And even if you allow, and I said this in the, the, the thing I talked about this week on, um, even if you allow them to do that and your child is not present, it is still framing the relationship that you have with your child. So it doesn't matter. I mean, it's better that they're not present, but it still is having an effect on your relationship with your kid. And so you are deciding who you are in this process. And I say to people quite frequently, my son is one of my greatest spiritual teachers because it is by being his parent that I had to become aware of certain things. I had to make decisions. And if you have not decided, you will be pulled in so many different directions. It is painful, but it will be painful in so many more ways mm-hmm. if you have not decided. And what, what kind of decisions So if you haven't decided that you can walk away from certain people, if you haven't decided how you're going to allow people to talk to your kid and refer to your kid. Mm -hmm. So one of the boundaries, it's it's boundaries, a lot of boundaries. We love boundaries. (laughs) So one of the big boundaries that I established, and I actually help parents with this now. and, And let me back up and say, so I have this dream about fixing systems and ways of thinking about neurodiversity. And one of the product services I'm developing is this whole audit system for forms. And we think of forms, we're like, oh, it's not that important. But what forms do that you fill out the doctor's office? That you okay, so when you say forms, okay, like doctor's office, like that kind of thing, okay. I meant my beautiful figure. Um, <laughs> so... So, um, so forms that you fill out at the doctor's office or that you fill out at the school and I can go upstairs and I can go in a box of all these forms that were filled out during, um, when he was in public school, private school and put all that together. And there's a story there. So one of the things I'm looking at is, is how forms box people into a story because they do. And so one of the boundaries that I established with his public school and private school, there are certain words you will not put in his school record. Because first of all, if you're not qualified to use that word or to make that judgment, you don't get to make it. Yeah. You should not be entered the record. And number two, if you are qualified, then use qualified words. (laughs) Use clinical words. Don't use, don't, don't talk about tantrums because yeah. they're irrelevant in this conversation. Because if you're talking about tantrum, you're talking about what is going to make you as the adult comfortable. You're not talking about satisfying a need that he has or meeting a need that yeah. he has. Because in that case, you talk about a meltdown or you say he was triggered or um, something else. There are a lot, there are a hundred other things that you could say. Well, and also like, uh, words like you know tantrum or meltdown or or whatever like those are all a, a resultant behavior of something else happening right and so like that's i would feel like that should be the thing is like yes this person got upset but like let's talk about why and how so we can avoid that and, like right that would make more sense to me well katie <laughs> so this and that's part of it because, and, and, that, and I think this is the thing, one of the things that's so frustrating for parents in this process is they talk about the child out of context. Mm-hmm. They talk about the child as if he stepped into the environment and just started showing his ass. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. There are other kids in the room. Sometimes the classroom is overcrowded. There are kids that have issues in the room that are unaddressed and your child is responding to that. There's my son had a teacher who was having some personal problems and he picked all that up and she was on her phone a lot and we could tell. Um, There are so many decisions that are made throughout the day 
that the child cannot control. And even um, walk into the lunchroom, if, if your kid doesn't like to be touched and you keep the teacher keeps putting them in the middle of the line and around a handsy kid, then that's a problem. So that's another boundary. It's like, no, you cannot sit here and construct a problem and make my son the problem because my son is existing in this environment that is supposed to help him. And it's not the way the, the whole, con- and, and, and this is shaped by the forms. This is shaped by the law. This is shaped by the policy. They shape the way we have this conversation. And we talk about this, um, this situation. And, and here's the other thing. So as I said before, a big thing for me is connection. Well, I think one of the things, one of the insidious things that the IEP process does is it drives a wedge between the parent and the child because of the way they speak so negatively about the child. And and you have to, on the one hand, you have to convince them that there is a need. On the other hand, you have to defend them because the people in the room are saying such horrible things. And what it does is it takes time away from your family because essentially when I was doing this, I had a second job. Mm -hmm. It takes time from your family. It takes time. So, and something else I realized was happening because I spent hours and hours and hours reading articles and trying to write things up and coming up with suggestions, whatever. It felt like I was with my child the whole time, but then I would look back two or three days and had ignored my child for two to three days. Because you were because, like researching and yes, because yeah. they were ever he was ever present in my mind because I felt forced to do this, mm-hmm. um, not forced, but I felt like I had no alternatives, mm-hmm. um, and so it stole time away. Where it stole hugs, it stole embraces, it stole time for me to sit and help regulate. Mm-hmm. And actually probably cause some uh, dysregulation because I'm like, you know, frantic trying to make things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just a lot of things like that I had to sit with, um, but really understanding myself and drawing clear boundaries, not just with people, but with processes also, right? Mm-hmm. With the forms. Sure. Yeah. How do so? How does oh man? I have I have okay. I'm just saying right now we're just we're having you back. You're invited. You're invited back forever. We're gonna have to do a part I'll seventeen to I'll, this. I'll I'm so come. I'm just I like this is I was literally all I wanted to talk to you about. I was like oh we're gonna talk about like job applications and then we have once again completely changed the subject of the podcast, yes. which is the most on brand thing ever. So congratulations, we've Yay. done it again, everybody. Um, this is this is so goddamn fascinating. Um. <laughs> so, uh, so what I want to talk about then is like you used like such a good example is this is like tantrums mm-hmm. and but then also earlier you talked about like labels and like the labels that we put on mm-hmm. kids and, and so I'm wondering like I know for me personally like I really struggled with labels because mm-hmm. for a really long time I didn't have a label I didn't I okay. didn't have mm-hmm. like the ADHD label I just had like she acts out, she talks over people in class, she can't pay attention, like, mm-hmm. so I had those, like, very negative labels, whereas, like, I don't feel like ADHD or neurodivergency or really anything is necessarily, like, a negative or positive label, it is just, like, here's the thing, so we mm-hmm. can contextualize. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what labels do you think are, like, helpful in terms of, like, determining stuff like IEPs and, like, forms and boundaries, yeah. and which ones are, are, are like, maybe we can stay away from tantrums or lazy or, you know, like, that kind of yeah. thing. So... That was almost a question. That was... No, all, no, that, and, that was and, and, and you know what's funny? <laughs> I totally got it. <laughs> okay, good. Good, good, good. I totally get it. Sometimes I just start talking and I go, at some point, though, a question will appear. It's fine. <laughs> and that's okay. It's okay. So here's the thing. If you have certain traits, you're going to get a label. Mm -hmm. So it might be ADHD or it might be lazy. Mm -hmm. You're going to get a label. And so I had somebody ask me, it's like, oh, do you, you know, you advocate um, diagnosis 
Mm, not really. Here's what I advocate. I advocate you identifying the set of needs that you have and you go, you're going in talking to someone or checking your child to talk to somebody about the needs and finding the container to put those needs in. Like ADHD is a label of container, autism, learning disabilities, finding the most appropriate container to put or containers to put those things in because the container does tell you something. So the container suggests that you have certain needs and that your needs can be met in a certain way. It doesn't tell you everything, but it tells you a lot. Yeah. And so if you have a kid that, you know, is considered to be disrupting the class, you're going to be talked about anyway. And so um, it's important to have a clinical label. Now, well, that doesn't always help people because here's the thing that I don't hear a lot of people talking about is how much adults who work with children dismiss those labels. They decide yep. that the child does not have ADHD. They decide that the child does not have autism and is undeserving of things. And it happens. It happens all the time. It makes me so angry. Yeah, like, it, it always sets me off. Yeah. So... As so as somebody who who does this kind of advocating, like what what would you do in a situation like that? If a parent comes to you and says, my teacher, uh, like this is a very stupid example, but I'm going to tell it anyway, because it's very relevant for like no reason what at all. But like, so one thing that I find fascinating about forms, as as in my experience, is that at many doctor's offices, there is an abject bafflement about the idea that someone might not know their medical history because I'm adopted. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I don't know my medical history. And so whenever I go to the doctor, there's always like the whole ass thing that you have to (laughs) fill out. And every time I have to Mm -hmm. go to the lady at the desk and I go, I'm adopted. And they act like I'm the first person in the history of the world to ever have been adopted. And they're shocked and they're confused and it baffles me. But then like then as technology advanced, it got to be this thing where like they give you like the little tablet and then yeah. the tablet won't let you advance until right. you fill out the medical history and right. there's no option. But the reason why I bring this up is because when I was a kid, uh, my, pa- my parents were like very like open and honest about my being adopted. Uh, but my teachers frequently did not believe me. Uh-huh. And it was this strange thing where like I would just offhandedly mention like I'm adopted for whatever you know family day and my teachers would go no you're not why are you making that up and I'd be like I'm not and they'd be like no you are and they just decided for me and I like it's just like it's just so weird that 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 happens and so but that's like that's like a nothing thing like that's just like yes I'm adopted like you're invalidating my experience but honestly at the end of the day who cares right for something like ADHD or autism or a learning disability that can have a profound effect on a kid and their success in school or their non-success in school, you know, in, in conversation with like forms and, and believing like what, how do you, I don't know why I needed to tell that story, but here we are. Um, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. How, how do you, how do you navigate those conversations with like a school or a teacher who is just frankly being a dick? <laughs> okay. So, uh, what I want to, I want to answer your question, but what I want to say is what you're talking about in the doctor's office and also just what we're talking about in general, it is a a design issue. And the first principle of design is empathy. Mm -hmm. So when I look at forms like that, and I look at that, they recreated the same, same dynamic on the tablet that they decided to move without empathy. The user experience is supposed to start with empathy for the user. And so in deciding to do that, even on the tablet, they decided that that process, you're not the most important thing in the process. They decided being able to get everything on the tablet is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And same thing with when you go and and we spent, we spent lots of money, uh, money on evaluations and, you know, people just deciding that they're not going to um, pay attention. But I want to go back, and I'll come to it, but I want to go back to something you said, like the doctors, like the first time. That's the experience that we had with the IEP. Mm-hmm. I would go and I would make suggestions like, this cannot be the first time that you've heard about this. So here's my take. Before we started advocating 
people will say, well, it's not an adversarial process. You know, they'll work with you. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's, do, let's define what adversarial means. If I'm sitting in a room and my child has a need and you are aware that there's a resource that somebody else is currently using and you will not open your mouth to say that we can do X, Y, and Z, then it is adversarial mm-hmm. because it is a liable mission. You are withholding something that will help my child have a better life. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's adversarial. So that's the first thing. Um, but more central to your point is when you encounter situations like that, it really is a set of trade-offs. I know some parents uh, on TikTok, on Facebook, they brag about, well, you know what? I sued the school and I got X, Y, and Z. But there's a cost for that. There's a monetary, there's an emotional cost for that. So you can, there, there are a series of things that you could do, you know, of course, bring it to the teacher's attention, the administration, then you can ask for your kid to be moved into a different classroom and you can go to another school. And of course, I'm saying it's like, this is possible for everybody, but it's not. Or, um, but here's the thing that will not work. If you find yourself in this situation, you know, kid in this situation, and you're one of these go-getter parents who knows a lot, has a lot of education, or feels like they know a lot, you can wear yourself down to sand trying to put an infrastructure in place that is not supported by the infrastructure they have in place. Yeah. Because you're, it's, it's sort of like whack-a-mole. Like you're trying to hold all these different things down yeah. and you can't because the infrastructure does not support it. Mm-hmm. And so actually what it does is it works against you. So you're, it's like you're, you're, you're running on a treadmill, like nothing is moving. And so there comes a time and apparently I was very busy this past summer. A Cole wrote a book and it's called you are the revolution. And for the first time in my life, I heard myself say out loud that people who have black children should homeschool them right now. And the reason why is because they need a cocoon around all kids need a cocoon around them right now. But there's like, levels of trauma that all kids are experiencing, then there's that level that has to do with racism. And so if you look at all of that stacked together, and then you're trying to put something in place, we're saying in the book to black to people who have black children, if you're doing this at school, what this means is that you're actually capable of doing it at home you may not realize how much of an infrastructure you're trying to put in place. Mm-hmm. And so and just encouraging parents to take that leap to protect their children mm-hmm. and to really focus on well-being first and education second, because they need a nice, soft, warm place where they are accepted fully and their parent is not being worn down because that is detrimental also. Mm-hmm. And that eats into family resources. And I don't just mean financial, although people, oh my God, the financial cost of this is just unbelievable, but the emotional cost and how it drains resources in your ability to show affection, to spend time together. And so, those are the hidden costs. Going back to our question, the tax, those are the hidden costs that you really cannot quantify the damage that it does to your family. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's really interesting because obviously I, I speak from such a different perspective and place of privilege you know and so like for me like even as somebody who's like worked in the classroom like it's it's really interesting to me like just how profound 
that kind of trauma and that kind of, mm-hmm. and, you know, it can, and, and, but it's not just the kid, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. not just the child. It's like, you're talking about how much this, this hurt and this trauma and this damage spreads to the family unit. It does. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's like, I feel like that's not a conversation that we have a lot, you know, like, no, no, it's really interesting. We don't because what we do, it's really interesting how we talk about things in this country and I'm sure in other places too, is we attach people to a community in our minds, Mm -hmm. but then we isolate them as individuals. Yeah. So it's like everybody's out here struggling for themselves and that's black people, white people, who, who, you know, whoever. Mm -hmm. And so you have to fight the fight and it becomes a fight. I talk about metaphors quite a bit, but you have to fight the fight. You, You get isolated. You get moved from the herd and you have to take this on by yourself. And it's like you have to reinvent it, recreate it all yourself. Mm-hmm. And it really does extract a lot from people. It is consistent with overconsumption of people. Yeah. Because essentially, when a parent tries to do all the things that they think the school should be doing, um, that's another way of just overconsuming and making them work and unpaid labor. It's just another way. And, um, and I know people's like, Oh, well, that's that parent. But there are a lot of that parents who have to be that parent Mm -hmm. because they recognize the holes in, in the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that parent is just a person who is trying to do the best possible right thing for their kid and to punish the parent for being that parent or punishing the kid for having that parent yes that's yes so people who are afraid of retaliation yeah um i am a big fan of um community schools Mm -hmm. and community schools and and there's a really big one in harlem called the harlem children's zone started by this guy named jeffrey canada i believe and the way he's transforming this neighborhood is, okay, we got the kids, we teach them financial literacy, we're making sure they get a good meal. You can't take the kid out of context. The kid is attached to a family. So you go in there and you start jiggling stuff and you change the kid and then all of a sudden they come home and it's like, oh, you think you're better than we are. Yeah. No, you have to support the family. So that's what he's doing. So at community schools, um, his is a private school, but there are a lot of, uh, I think the ones that I'm aware of are public schools. They have dinner at school multiple nights a week. Um, They have financial literacy courses for parents. They have all kinds of training, job training, um, job search support, because they understand that the child does not exist in a vacuum. The child is attached to a family and parents, no matter how it comes out, no matter how it's communicated, most parents want the best for their children. Their definitions of what that is, is different. Mm-hmm. And it comes out in weird ways sometimes. But I think most parents want the best for their kids. Yeah. Well, and, and it speaks so, like, it speaks so well to the work that you are doing in terms of, like, trying to promote this idea of neurodiversity in conversation with like education and and all of that stuff and like it's 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 really just interesting to me how often just like the conversation about adhd is only ever about the kid it's not Mm -hmm. about the parent it's not Mm -hmm. about the the you know to be aggrandizing about it but like the school system itself but it's all like the kid is just a microcosm of like this whole societal Absolutely. thing. And that's why I think the work that you are doing is just so damn fascinating. Like it's well, great. Um, you know, it's really interesting because I try to, uh, I don't think about this often, but every now and then it hits me when, when I get responses from people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to cast this Pollyanna kind of view of things or this toxic positivity because that's totally not where I'm coming from. And I, and here's why I'm saying that because sometimes when I get comments back, I, I, I'm just thinking like, how did I broadcast something? But what I try to do 
is take a neutral stance, like start from a neutral place. And sometimes a neutral place is that this could have been as much of a positive situation as it was negative. There was an opportunity to do things a different way and we chose not to for whatever reason, or that parents do come to the table with a lot of assets. That's a fact. Yeah. That's not something I made up. I think the difference is for people is what I choose to focus on. Yeah. I, th- I think that's the difference. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. But also, like, I don't know if I'm agreeing or disagreeing with you, but I also think, like, a lot of parents come to the table with a lot of assets, but they also come with a lot of baggage mm-hmm, and a mm-hmm. lot of like preconceived notions. And so like, I think part of what I think is really cool about your work and your advocacy is that like, if there's another kid in the class who is also struggling with the same things, mm-hmm. not only is like, you know, kid A with that parent, you know, getting mm-hmm. what they need, but then kid B who doesn't have the support structure or right. has parents who don't believe in like autism right. or whatever stupid thing, like they're also seeing like a modeling of this like behavior that can really support yes. both kids. Like it's helping the community, right. not right. just kid A. And I think that's really cool. Um, oh, God damn. We, we did the thing where we ran out of time every time, every time. OK, so wrap up question. No pressure. Uh, please give me every piece of advice that you've ever thought. No, just kidding. Um, but uh, speaking very broadly, because I want to be so clear. I'm so excited to have you back on so we can actually talk about school. I, I will happily come. It's fine. Yes, um, this has been great. What I guess like my my question is oh, I got to think of a good one now. For a parent who is just starting out, who is just starting mm-hmm. out with this, like their kid just got diagnosed or they're having that first IEP meeting or something like that. Like what what advice do you have um, for just, you know, the parents who are who are just starting this journey and trying to figure out just like how to do the support and how to come to the table and how to have these conversations? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm answering based upon the school system we have right now. You have to decide what you're willing to sacrifice because it is going to be a series of sacrifices that you cannot even imagine yet. You're going to have to reimagine who you are as a person because it's not the person you thought you were. You're going to have to think about what trade-offs you're willing to make because you may find yourself homeschooled and never imagined that you would be homeschooling and one person staying at home. Or you have to be creative and think about these alternate arrangements. But here's the thing. If you, if your kid goes into kindergarten and you see certain things happening, it is not going to get better. And you cannot wear yourself down trying to fill the gap because you are doing a disservice to your child by doing that. <laughs> I just literally started clapping. That was not ironic. I was like, I'm the only person here. This is embarrassing. Like, I want you to know that was my genuine actual reaction was to start clapping. So thank you. Um, oh my goodness. Dr. Kimberly Douglas, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us. Where can we find you? What can sure. we buy from you? Tell us how to find you. Tell us all about your cool stuff that you do. This is my favorite part. Yay. <laughs> um, so I am on TikTok quite a bit. Um, and I'm now at 80,000 followers. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you again for the shout out you gave me. That had a big impact on my that account. Was, I, I, I owe you the debt of thanks. That was a fucking amazing video. It's so good. I like was sitting there <laughs> staring off into the middle distance going like, God damn, that's a good question. <laughs> So I'm on TikTok and um, I do a a live on TikTok every Monday and Friday at 9 a.m. Central. And then you in my bio on TikTok, there's a link tree. It takes you to my website. It also takes you to my weekly offer um, and and also and some other stuff you can link to. 
But my website is Dr. Kimberly Douglas with two S's.com. And I've got a bunch of things there. I've got um, 10 things you need to look at in your child's school record. Uh, my book, You Are the Revolution, The $1 Offers, something on school accommodations, on daily report cards, which we did not get into, but that that's a whole session, that, a whole session. But anyway, but if in doubt about how to reach me, the website and TikTok, that's usually and where I am. For anybody who's listening, I will put all of this in the show notes, and we will also set up an extras page for Dr. Douglas, um, so y'all can just go and we'll put all the links out so you can find all of her stuff super easy. So we, we got you, fam. Um, hey, just because I just want to, I feel like maybe this is going to be a funny way to end this. Uh, very quickly, how do you feel about the stoplight system? <laughs> Stop. Uh, you know, like, the, where, like, yeah, you know, when you have like the clothespins and like you go to like you're on green and then you go to yellow and red. How do you feel about this? <laughs> <laughs> People can't see me right now. That's that's uh, that reaction said it all. Um, I'm, I'm going to do the woosa. <laughs> uh, bad boys. Oh, we love woosah. it. We love it. OK, one more question, because Eric will be mad if I don't ask you this. OK, uh, a magical fairy appears from nowhere and offers mm -hmm. you a choice. You can learn, you can, you can now magically speak any language in the world, or you can play any musical instrument. Which do you choose and why? This is our like inside the actor studio. We ask every guest this, and it's very interesting to track their answers. <laughs> any musical instrument. Okay, okay, the thought. Because... I can speak language through those instruments. I love that. We love that. Dr. Kimberly Douglas, thank you so much Yay. for being here and we will talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you. Normally at this time, I'd read off the name of our new patrons and tell you how grateful we are to have you as part of the Infinite Quest family, which we are. But this week I decided to do something a little different And if you don't know what I'm talking about Then I know you don't read our episode descriptions, that's fine They take a lot of time But this week I told a bunch of people That if you sent us a secret password I'd put your name into a song. I want to be very clear that I was expecting like five people to send an email along. I grossly underestimated you all. So here's my song. Here we go. Caitlin was the first person to send in an email and then Annalena followed after Then Andrew and Vic who sent a rainbow emoji And someone named Tinker held Danger Pixie Who had nothing clever to say Then Stephanie checked in and also Ezra Crowley Which makes me think that it's a good omen Professor Chris came next and Helen sent big love then CJ and Gabrielle and Daniel and Johnny B who told me I could adapt his name to my rhyme scheme. Thank you all. Oh, we're not done. Then Travis Cox and Jordan Blanks followed shortly by Christine, a first time description reader. We're glad you came. This is going to be like one take, you guys. <laughs> And so did Benjamin, who was followed by an email from Miss Penny Allen. Then our beloved Moon sent an email to our server, reminding us both once again that we don't fucking deserve her. Hey, thank you, Moon. and Daniel and Rachel and Kate and Dale and Ian and Anne and Cindy and Aaron and then
And Ro told us they love us. And hey, Ro, we love you back. Then another person we don't deserve sent an email that wasn't spam. So let us take this opportunity to say thank you, and we fucking appreciate you. took me to write this song and I want to be very clear I put song in quotation marks I got five more emails with the password so here's your bonus verse tears in my coffee sent us an email and also sent me a coffee but minus tears I mean hopefully then Melinda told us that we sued their soul and Joan DeSnark checked in. And Stacy made a point to ask about glitter. And my favorite color of glitter is like an aqua turquoisey blue sort of situation. <sighs> and in the time that it took me to write the bonus verse to the song, seven more fucking had already come along. Jadeen, Jadeen, right? Yeah. Jadeen sent an emoji of a little blue bird and Becca Michelle countered with a smile. Rachel didn't send an emoji, but that's fine. Then another email from someone like Selma or maybe SL or Slama or Slamamamat. We couldn't figure it out from the email and you forgot to sign your name. Last came tidings from Edward. They were followed shortly by Jacob. <laughs> and I wasn't gonna make the obvious joke, but this is a true story. The last email that we got was from Bella. it as of 1 a.m. this morning the email offer is now closed for sparkle butt but if you want to get your own name in a song send an email to infinitequestpodcast at gmail.com and Tell us the secret password from this week. The secret password is glitter butt. <laughs> from all of us here at Infinite Quest Studios, I guess we're going with Infinite Quest Studios this week. From all of us here at Infinite Quest Thank you so much for listening. Thank you much, so much for being part of the Infinite Quest family. That song was so dumb. Remember to be kind to yourself this week. Remember to drink water. Remember to be kind to yourself. Take your meds. Eat some food. And uh, I'll give you a gold star next week. From all of us at Infinite Quest, we are so happy you're here. See you next week. <laughs>